Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come to thee mindful that because thou art God, our times are in thy hands. We have the blessed assurance that our times and our world being in thy government, we stand secure. Teach us to trust in thee. Give us grace day by day to move in the confidence that because thou art God, the wickedness of man is futility. And only that which is done in thy name shall endure. Teach us, therefore, to commit ourselves unto thee and to work in the assurance that not even a cup of cold water given in thy name is without its reward. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture is First Chronicles 13, verses 1 through 10. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. Let us bring back again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt unto the entering of Hemoth to bring the ark of God from kirjath Jearim. And David went up, and all Israel to Baalah, that is, to kirjath Jearim, which belongeth to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims whose name is called on. They carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Titan, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. This incident is an embarrassing one to a great many people. Many churchgoers wish that things like this weren't in the Bible. But God wouldn't embarrass them with incidents that uh, really are a bit trying to man's reason. But nonetheless, it is there. And I think we should be joyful that the death of Uzzah is in Scripture. What this incident records is the return of the ark to the capital or to its proper place in Israel. The ark, which had been in Shiloh, had been captured by the Philistines. After it was restored, it rested for a time in the care of Abinadab, a Levite. And then David decided that it must be brought to Jerusalem. And 
so it was a formal affair in which all the nation took part, leaders of church and state, grand parade, music, the symbols clashing, as the ark was returned to Jerusalem. They did not get very far. And they paid no attention whatsoever to the requirements of God concerning the handling of the ark. Because the law very definitely specified that only priests were to touch the ark. Not any Levite, not any member of the tribe, but only those Levites who were priests of the household of Aaron. None other. The penalty for transgression was death. Moreover, the proper way of carrying the ark was for certain of the appointed ones recognized by the law to carry it on their shoulders without handling it. Uzzah was a Levite, the son of Benadad. And he was enjoying the limelight. And rather officiously, he was assuming that he was in charge. And so when the ark was shaken a bit as the oxen stumbled, he officiously and presumptuously put out his hand to steady it, as though it were his responsibility. And immediately, he was stricken by God and died. Uzzah was guilty of presumptuous and false responsibility. What does it mean? We encountered presumptuous responsibility very early in Scripture with respect to Cain. Cain killed his brother, Abel. And when God confronted Cain and said, Where is thy brother Abel? Cain said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Note the contemptuous reference to his brother. Am I his keeper? A poor idiot who can't take care of himself, in other words, and needs to be cared for, and is it my responsibility? Now many a preacher has said the true answer is, I am my brother's keeper. This is to fall into Cain's trap. Because both irresponsibility and presumptuous responsibility are ungodly. Cain was not Abel's keeper. He was Abel's brother. And he had an obligation to be a brother to him. And when we deny the responsibilities that are ours, or when we presume upon them and say we are keepers to people, we are equally guilty of sin. Luther's sin was that he thought it was his responsibility where it clearly was not. His attitude was, I am going to be in the limelight, I am going to be the one who is going to take care of everything, if there's anyone who needs to be told, I will do it. I am in charge. In other words, he appointed himself as the presiding governor of the move the ark to Jerusalem. His rationale was, it cannot be done properly if I do not do it. Therefore, I must do it, I must do everything. This is a false sense of responsibility. And a false, presumptuous sense of responsibility says always, 
I am responsible for all things, for all people, and ultimately for God as well. This is an attitude we encounter often. Regularly, I encounter people who are insistent that it is my duty as a minister to preach that we are responsible for everyone under the sun. For the people in Africa, for the people in Asia, for the people in what? For the people in every slum across the country, for all men. And that I should preach this kind of total responsibility to everyone. And what they mean thereby is that I should not preach responsibility, but control. Because the word responsibility is a weasel word, a dishonest word used. But what is meant? All things must be controlled. In other words, when they say we must be responsible for everything, they know that none of us can meet that responsibility and they are saying there must be a control of everything and you must assent to this. We are God, we who are the elite and who can do these things. We must control and sustain all things. Thus people who assume a false, a presumptuous sense of responsibility are not honest. They want to be God. The essence of our Christian faith is simply this. God alone governs all things. God is the supreme governor and the only governor of the universe. But these people with a presumptuous sense of responsibility say in effect, it is man's duty, my duty as the elite man, to govern all things, all men, all beings. Now the strategy of presumptuous, of false responsibility is this. First of all, make men feel responsible and therefore guilty for all men and for all things and whatever happens to anyone. They are responsible for the starving, as someone told me recently, in India. This man maintained that we had a moral duty towards the people in India, and no man should get up into the pulpit without preaching that we were responsible to care for those people in India. Indeed, they are in the grips of the fact. They should be. Their religious faith is one that is perverse and wicked to the nth degree. The streets are full of cows. They will not kill. Their agricultural crops are eaten up by monkeys. They will not kill. Vast areas of productive farmland are abandoned because the man-eating tigers move in, which they will not kill. One of them may be their grandmother reincarnated. And if we support them when they suffer the consequences of their sins, we are subsidizing their sins. So I have no hesitation telling any man that I do not feel responsible for the starving in India. I feel that they are responsible. But the first strategy of false responsibility is to make men feel responsible and therefore guilty for all men and all things. And second, ask them, since they cannot possibly take care of everyone, 
to delegate it to the state and to the elite class. If you are given this total responsibility, you cannot begin to meet it yourself. And so the logical answer is the state must do it. Therefore, delegate to the state the power to take care of everyone. And third, this means that the state and the elite planners become gods, that is, governors of all things. And fourth, salvation therefore becomes the work of man. Man remakes man by statist law and action. This is the goal of Paul, presumptuous responsibility. Be God's controlling and remaking man. And in this strategy, guilt is basic. Guilt is necessary. Men are told they are guilty for their failure to care for all the world. It is man's duty, it is said over and over again. To feel responsible for all men, are we not the family of man? And the essence of this position is that there is a universal morality, a universal ethics. And we have been brainwashed into believing that if anything is true, it has to be universally true. So that if there is a true moral code, it has to be applicable in all situations and circumstances. And this is nonsense, and no biblical Christian can subscribe to it. No true Christian can affirm it. Because we must affirm that there are three kinds of moral relations, and we cannot universalize any one of them. First, there is a moral law according to the scriptures concerning our relationship to our family. Our parents, to them we render honor. To our household, our children, our wife, we render support. Toward the wife, love. Toward the husband, obedience. This is the law of God concerning the family. When we are asked by God and we are told we are an infidel, an unbeliever, if we do not care for our own, we are not told we have this same responsibility towards the neighbor and his wife and his children. We can get into trouble if we try to exercise. There is, therefore, a very limited moral code, according to Scripture, that applies exclusively to our relationship within the family. Second, there is another level of moral relations, and that is to fellow believers. And we are told that we are to consider ourselves a household, a family, in a larger sense, but not as strictly as with regard to the blood family. Here we have an obligation towards one another. And deacon funds were ordered by Scripture for the care of the needy and the dependent within the church. Although the law there was, if a man will not work, let him not eat. So there was no condoning of laziness. But there was a law definitely for the family of God, for the true believers in their relationship one to another. Third, the law of God as it applies to all men outside the church to deal honestly and justly with them, to fulfill God's law of love, which means to recognize their right to life, home, property, and reputation in word, thought, and deed, 
to proclaim to them the gospel. This is our duty. And our duty towards the family is one thing, towards the believers another, and towards the world at large another. And if you deny that there is a three-level morality in the Bible and you universalize it, then you say all men are one family and we are responsible for the support of all men and the only conclusion of such a universal moral code is communism. And so in the strategy of guilt, we are told that we are guilty for our failure to care for all the world. And since when men believe this, they know they cannot do it except by a delegation, they delegate their power to the state to ease their guilt. But they remain guilty. Because delegation does not take away their sense of guilt. And guilty men are amenable to robbery. Since they are made to feel guilty for whatever they have. A year ago, when I was in one community in Northern California, our hostess, who was the daughter of a professor of, in one of the most exclusive uh, girls' colleges in the East, said that it was routine for the faculty members to work to make every girl who came there feel guilty because she came from a wealthy home. This was their strategy. And people who are made to feel such a sense of guilt are then amenable to robbery because they feel they have to make atonement for their guilt by being robbed. And yet there comes a point even as a citizenry is robbed through socialistic plunder where they begin to begrudge this enforced giving and they grumble. But they grumble with impotence and guilt since they are without salvation. Guilt for grumbling reinforces their guilt for having anything that others do not have and their guilt for not caring about the poor in India. And so they are all the more enslaved. The word used to accomplish this is world responsibility. Responsibility. A universal moral code. But the goal is slavery for man and power for the state and for the elite. You see why God struck Uzzah? Why Uzzah had to die? Why this incident is so important to us and so great a comfort? It declares that God's judgment against the Uzzahs of every generation is death. That even as God hates those who escape and deny their responsibility, so he hates even more those who presume, those who assume a false responsibility, because God is sovereign. And the cornerstone of any biblical faith is the sovereignty of God. Man's responsibility under God is to do his duty as God prescribes it towards his family, towards his fellow believers, and towards the world. 
not to feel any total responsibility which is not man's business and which leads to a demonic attempt at total control. God wills the death of Uzza in every generation. And God will destroy them in our generation. Those of us who under God day by day strive humbly to meet our God-given responsibility as children, as parents, as husbands, as wives, as citizens, as workmen, to do our duty. And through the church, to serve God and to further the witness of Christ in every area. And rejoice because the blessing of God is upon us. God has declared in his word that even a cup of cold water given in his name the least of his people has its reward. We are rewarded for meeting our responsibility but the sentence of God is death to every Uzzah presumes to be God and to assume total responsibility. Therefore, we need to rejoice as it is. For it is another assurance of the certainty of God's government and that indeed the Uzas of our day are destined for death. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we give thanks unto thee for thy word. And we thank thee, our Father, that thou hast called us to be members of Jesus Christ, has by thy grace empowered us to meet our responsibilities in home, in church, and in the world, and has given us grace to know our place under thee. Therefore, our Father, according to thy word, we look unto thee for the blessings which thou hast promised. We open wide our mouth that thou mightest fill it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Are there any questions now? <clears throat> I'd like to ask a question. I don't know whether it's that so of this particular discussion, but this is an historical. Um, is there any connection that you have found or, 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 or um, considered possible between the word, um, the words Babylon and Vatican? No. There's no, no, no etymology? None whatsoever. Yes. I have an article here, uh, I was going to underline the part that I wanted to ask you specifically, but maybe you know that. Plans for a constitutional amendment to establish a commission on family relations to place existing divorce procedures. No, I hadn't heard of that, but that is fantastic and it is a step towards total control. It says, it says reconciliation do not be accomplished parties that want to divorce and a simple divorce decree would be issued. Including the legislation that Dr. Peter Hoffman has issued proposals to virtually eliminate alimony as currently set up. There would be child support payments based on a certain percent of income and rehabilitation payments to the wife while she was learning a trade to support herself. 
The point of that article is whatever is good or bad in it, it is all evil in that the federal government is to take over and it will mean total control and total helplessness. Another section of the measure would prevent property from becoming designated as community property until after a marriage of five years. Again, a very dangerous thing because Well, this is fantastic. In other words, the state is to replace the family and the church. Yes. What they are doing is to substitute one kind of court for another. They are bypassing our legal system as it has existed to substitute psychiatric law, which is no law, and administrative courts or courts of law that are uh, county-created and county-supported courts. I think in view of measures like this, we had all better blow our noses while it's still constitutional to do so. Well, the American Marriage and Divorce Reform Organization. <laughs> oh. This is a, a beautiful illustration of what I've been talking about, if anything, because this is presumptuous and false responsibility, playing it being God. Yes, this state is quite feminist in its laws. <laughs> Texas is rather uh, prejudiced against women in its laws. But again, I think it's better to have the matter in the hands of the states and have injustices of this sort than this kind of dictatorship. Thank you. Another question. Yes, what is taking place is that a few uh, states have decided they don't like 
the Christian school movement. It's growing too fast. It uh, is the greatest possible menace to the power of the state that exists. So they are out to bring these under state control. Now, uh, in Iowa and in the state of Washington, of course, and one or two other places, attempts are being made in this direction. In Washington, and I believe the same is true in Iowa, they have passed laws requiring that Christian schools certify their teachers through the state certification agency so that the Christian school teacher, the parochial school teacher, will have to go to the state Board of Education and get accreditation by taking the uh, required major in education. Now, in the state of Washington, there's a fine, this is as of the past two years, for any parent to send his or her child to a Christian or a parochial school where there is even a single teacher who hasn't gotten a state certificate. This is an insidious thing. It is a first step towards control. And I think the answer is being taken properly by some of them there. They're going to comply with it in their own way. I was up there this week, and one of the groups I spoke to several times was Christian Schools Incorporated. It's a Washington State organization of Christians who have set up this organization to start Christian schools. They started about 10, 15 in Washington State. They started one in the Midwest, and they are putting in 10,000 this year to, towards starting other churches throughout that area, the Midwestern area. So they want to build up networks of Christian schools everywhere. Well, this law has, of course, hurt them quite a bit. But their answer has been, as of a year ago, September, to start a Christian college. They're meeting in the Christian school in Mount Lake Terrace, Washington. They hope to start putting up the buildings within a year. But they meet after the... Uh, Christian school is over from 4 o'clock till 9 o'clock in the evening to give teachers training course for prospective teachers. And their attitude is, so they want a certificate. We'll give them the kind of course they prescribe, but we'll give it our way so our teachers will not go through the brainwashing of the state institutions. And they have 50 students already, and uh, they are going to move ahead. Yes. I answered it, but I was wondering if you could have some more information on the And that is it. I was talking to someone who uh, went all the way through public school and referred to the children of public school. They're respected the fact that you know they Read the right there, etc. And the reason is this: she likes the football, the track, the school dances, all of a sudden. And she said, "I've uh, I've been a private school for a short time and I didn't like it. By comparison, uh, I think that the children in public school have to much more fun than we can in public school." You see where the ethics is there. Yeah. But how, how, what would you say? We have groups of churches. Do they not engage in uh, sports and do anything? They not only can, but they do. And very often there is more activity of a better sort by far in the Christian school than the day school. But I think one of the first things I would say such a woman is, she's a feather brain. <laughs> <laughs> the 
because if what she is interested in primarily is that her children have fun in their schooling, that she is. I know, but uh, <laughs> you don't have to be a Christian to be serious or sensible. And the kind of world she's going to make, they aren't going to leave much room for her in it. We Christians will leave room for feather brains, but I... <laughs> There's a book for her sometime to read that might scare her a bit. J.L. Marino's Who Shall Survive? He has very definite ideas. You have to get past, say, a hundred pages or so because in the beginning, if you don't know what you're looking for, it sounds pretty good. Did you find that I saw? Uh, oh, I knew who he was when I read it. Well, so. yes, you do, mm -hmm. but uh, you're right, though. In the beginning, it, it sounds pretty good. You have to get further into it to really find the insidious things that are subjected. And along with that, there is a uh, assembly bill 45 that was introduced, I think it's February 16th, uh, by Darius on education. I can't speak too well on it because I'm waiting for the bill. And uh, Conrad said that he would have it analyzed also, and I'm waiting to see how he will have it analyzed. But it is it's horrible, and as soon as I get it, I can bring yes, some of the bills down because it's, I don't know if the Christian schools know it or not. So what is its purpose to... Well, it, it's carrying uh, down your uh, state control of schools. They will all go together. You mean your local control. control? Oh, I see. Local federal Yes. No, except that I take all those things with a grain of salt. And I've encountered uh, too many of those people who are devotees of occultism. And with the thousands upon thousands, a flying saucer episode that have taken place in recent years. You would think one of them would have had an accident, one of them would have fallen down, say, near the Los Angeles airport, and we could have seen what they were like. But they're sighted all the time in every country, and nothing ever happened. So I'm dubious. Maybe I'm wrong, but I still say there is no evidence for anything. And these people always end up writing for some off-office magazine, which means they want to see things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, back to this education, uh, well known, I'm sure, that uh, whether you have children in school or not, you can school text. And uh, if you send your children to a private school, or a school, you still have to pay taxes to the public. Right. Now, what could be done, if anything, towards initiating legislation to uh, change this uh, tax structure for the support of the education? A good question. Yes. In every session of Congress, a number of bills have been introduced to give parents who are providing for their children's Christian school or private school or parochial school education or for their college education, tax exemption for their contributions to their children's education. And when uh, Senator Goldwater was in the Senate, he introduced quite a number of bills towards this end. The total number of bills that have been introduced, I have a volume somewhere of them, is the big spiral-bound book about that thick. But while some of these measures have made progress, they've always been blocked 
by the administration. Now, we have to continue working towards this end, but the purpose, of course, of blocking tax relief is to force these schools and schools to the federal government for federal aid. And then, of course, they will control it. But if your gifts are tax-deductible, then the giving to Christian schools will increase greatly. Not only will parents get an exemption for their tuition, but they will then increase their giving to gain further tax exemption and to help the movement along. And this they do not want to do. So I think, uh, first, we've got to work to get such legislation through, and we need to badger our congressmen and senators on this score. Second, I think we need to work steadily to abolish the public schools, which is the best answer. Right. I yes. think the next best thing would be to get some uh, free-thinking congressmen in Washington and getting the brainwashed people to retire them back to the farm. So yes. Yes, definitely. Yes. Well, I gave it about two or three weeks ago here. And the tape for that is available, and uh, you can get it through. It'll be perhaps somewhat expanded, yes. Um, going back to uh, your talk on Haitian and hell, I kind of put me on the meeting list to make these whole things tweet by a certain deadline. Yeah. I don't like it. And I can't. Do you, uh, are you committed to being like that? Yes. Yes. He is, very definitely. British Israel. One of the questions that one of the questions was, uh, uh, does the soul die? And he said, definitely, when the body dies, the soul dies too. Mm-hmm. Not the soul die. No. Oh, we do not believe that. We believe that when a person dies, his soul goes to heaven to be with the Lord. That at the end of the world, we put on the resurrection body. So that uh, this business of soul sleep, uh, I do not believe it's scriptural. No, Hades is a general term for the other world. And Hades includes heaven and hell. In other words, it's a general term. For example, we say the world or the earth. That's a general term which includes North America, South America, Asia, and all the continents. So that Hades was a Greek word which was a general term for the whole of the other world. Heaven. Yes, but the fullness of it comes with the resurrection of the body. No, we do not believe that normally this is possible. The only instance we have of that is clearly a supernatural one whereby God was going to denounce Saul, and that was uh, with regard to Samuel. And there are various interpretations there. But the uh, mediums and so on who supposedly hold seances and uh, the dead return, I have gone through a great deal of their literature, and the psychic research societies, both in this country and Europe, have made extensive records of these people. Clearly, there are some things which are difficult to explain, but the one thing that stands out clearly is this. 
the vast amount of fraud of everyone who was involved in it. So that the very people who profess to be the mediums are so constantly involved in fraud that the one thing that is clearly apparent is this, that engaging in such thing has a devastating effect on the human personality. It is destructive of it. It is forbidden in Scripture very definitely, very definitely, and it has a disintegrating effect on the human personality of all who have ever engaged in it. Uh, Yes, Uzas, uh, the do-gooders are Uzas, very definitely. They are going to be responsible for everything and everybody, plus their little pinheads. <laughs> You'll have to excuse my disposition today, but I <laughs> was flying all Friday night and I was up late last night working, so I'm... Uh, little bit impatient with some kinds of people today. <laughs> yeah. I believe you said that the Lord would uh, rid the earth of these people, but uh, he would rid the earth of all of us, too. We all the lifespan, including these uh, Yes. Uh, it means that he would do it otherwise. Yes. God's judgment will come on such people, and it has over and over again in history. And in Scripture, not only do we have the death of Uzzah, but we have the death and judgment and captivity of peoples who follow the course of waywardness. We have the judgment pronounced upon Jerusalem in our Lord's day and coming to pass in its fullness. We have the judgment of the Early church said would overwhelm the Roman Empire for its way, and it did come to pass. And I would say now all we need to do is to prepare ourselves to survive through the judgment and to rebuild because it's coming. It is coming. We have passed the point of no return economically. We are facing a judgment. One of the things, for example, whereby Isaiah pronounces judgment on Jerusalem in his first chapter is that they have debased their silver coinage. And I was interested that Luther, during his lifetime, I was reading Luther on Romans when I was in Washington, state of Washington this week, among other things that I packed with me to read. I was interested. Luther said that the world around him was headed for a tremendous crisis and destruction because, he said, they have debased their claims and God's word is true. And he was right. And this was one of the reasons why he was in such grief because he knew what was going to overwhelm Europe and the devastation and war and turmoil that was going to come as a result of their course. God has laws, and men who are presumptuous and believe they can set aside God's laws are going to reap the whirlwind. Inflation, managed money, is one way of presumptuous responsibility. Because you cannot have socialism without funny money, without managed money. And every time you have any state managing money, it is one end to manage people. One of the most fantastic schemes was in the paper this past week. Some conference here in Southern California, and this man proposed, he said it will take some years for it to be done, for which we can be grateful, because the whole thing will go down the drain before they get around to trying that. But he said we won't need money anymore. We will have coded... Uh, numbers and cards which no one can steal and use because only the owner will know how to uh, feed this code into the machine and you will have credit 
posted in the Central Agency and you will go and spend those credits and just by putting it in a machine they will know how much you have in the way of credits. And money will be abolished. And also total control will be instituted. Yes. How, are they, how are they going to evaluate your merits as far as uh, how much you are uh, qualified to earn and so forth? Oh, the Central Planning Agency. <laughs> 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 Y'all have the same job. How are they going to sell you those That's immaterial. It's uh, what they feel you should get depending on the kind of person you are. <laughs> I, in, in one of my recent trips, I heard of one city, a fairly sizable city, but in an area where they have uh, no Negroes, but they did turn up one Negro family. But they had to have a civil rights commission, they had to have a poverty program and all. And these uh, people, it was a husband and wife and the wife's brother, Three Negroes in the community said they were working. They didn't need anybody to take care of them. But no, they had to have someone to protect their rights. <laughs> and so they set up a huge office in this city. Uh, the director gets 22500 and he has an office staff and so on to take care of these three Negroes who don't want anybody taking care of them. It all depends on who you are. They were related, no doubt, to some congressmen, these uh, directors, and they had to have a job. If they couldn't find the three Negroes, they would certainly have imported some. Yes? Uh, speaking of the crimes, I've seen stuff in an article in a magazine called Crime Age, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think the editor has any concerns in it. It says something about under um, proof that the uh, family's crime is, is here to stay. I mean, animating that, uh, you know, that this is going to be accessible. And there also was an article on the cloud itself. Well, I don't believe in the twilight of silver and gold either because it's the only real money and it will be here when the other is gone except as museum pieces. I was interested. Friday night, my plane didn't leave until 12.45 and... Bob Lindbergh took me to the airport and visited with me for a while, and he had been in Shanghai in 49 when the inflation began to hit there. And he said that when he went there, the Chinese dollar, well, it took a uh, thousand Chinese dollars to buy one American dollar. He said, when the inflation got underway, it began to snowball quite rapidly. And one of the heartbreaking things, he said, was to go downtown one day and see Chinese, many of them had been well-to-do, sitting on the sidewalk, sobbing uncontrollably with stacks of bills all around them. The government has just posted a decree that all bills under $5,000 were worthless. And their life savings were wiped out and they had been knocking on the doors of the banks and stores and they were worthless. The smallest denomination of the legal tender was a $5,000 bill. Then when it got further underway, underway, Bob said he, he said he bought a new suit one day for $25 million. Exactly a week later, to the day, 
to buy a small five and ten cent store harmonica for his little boy took fifty million dollars. And he said by that time no one trusted paper money at all. And he said you had to give two American paper dollars to buy one Chinese silver dollar. Because even though you could take those American paper dollars to a bank and get silver for them, they didn't like paper. They didn't want to accept it. 